Hello everybody, I'm your host Hal Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organizations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello everybody and welcome to today's episode of the Space Industry Podcast. I'm joined today by Justice Palmer, CEO of Fortuna Investments in the US. Uh, Fortuna Investments is a private investment company operating in various high growth sectors, including, of course, the space industry. And I'd like to pick Justice Brain today on uh, investing in space companies in the current economy and business climate and see what insights we can get, what we can look out for, what we can help people on both sides of the marketplace with. So, Justice, hello. Welcome to the Space Industry Podcast by Satsuch. Can I just ask if there's anything you'd like to add to that uh, introduction there, or are you happy we can kick off the discussion? Oh, yeah, a pleasure. I think you, you covered the bases extremely well. Uh, thank you for having me. Really excited to be here, uh, but more excited to be in this brand new commercial space industry, which we think is a, an opportunity of a lifetime. And, and, and yeah, we're, we're, we've come out of other sectors, as you mentioned, other high growth sectors, which we've done extremely well in, uh, such, such as battery technologies, lithium. We've had a, a number of companies go from zero to, to over a billion dollars in, in, in value in, in those industries. We also sold a company for $460 million a couple of years ago in the lithium business as well. So we've now turned our attention to the new space economy. Uh, we've made a handful of investments. And yeah, the, the more that we, we dig deeper in this industry, the more promise I have and, and conviction on we're at the right place at the right time. Fantastic. Let's help the listener find out why this is. Why is this the uh, opportunity of a lifetime for us? So my first question for you is from a kind of a supplier's perspective, a space industry supplier's perspective, what do you, what macroeconomic trends do you see as having an impact on the industry this year specifically? Look, I don't think it's going to be all too different year over year than, than last year, unfortunately. What I will say is, look, we, we've come out of two very nasty years in growth and growth equities, space being front and center in there. Space is a growth industry. There, there's no real EBITDA in the space industry for the early stage companies. Look, you've come out of a marketplace where everything's been clobbered 70 to 90% on the downside. There's been a lot of pain. What I will say is I fully expect 2024, not to necessarily be a banner year, but I think it is starting to become a bounce back year. So a lot of the, the free-falling and no interest persona non grata type of feelings towards the industry, I think, are, are starting to be in the back mirror. You've got interest rates finally coming down. We've seen a 30-year high in interest rates. Uh, this year, the interest rates will be coming down. It'll push more money into growth. I think from a macro level, that's all really good stuff. I know people want things to change overnight. They want results overnight, instant gratification. Unfortunately, the world doesn't work like that. But the good news is we're starting to pivot. And I, I think we're, we're at the beginning stage of, of another strong or what's to be a, a strong equity and growth market from a high level. So I think it's really important just to state that and understand that from a high level. Because if, it's, if it doesn't work from a high level, it almost doesn't matter what's happening in, in the internal companies because you, you have the current in your face. So that's not the case this year. So there's some really good stuff promising to happen there. 
Aside from that, I, I think the government contracts, government fundings, th- those continue to be at record highs year over year. I think we're going to see continued support from governments, not only in the U.S., Japan, India, globally now, things are really starting to pick up. So I think that's going to be helpful for the global space industry and the economy. So look, as I said, I don't, I'm not holding my breath. I'm not thinking it's going to be a banner year, but it, there's some really nice, interesting things that are starting to percolate in, in, in this year ahead. Great. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the data we see and the things that people are discussing are very much backs that up and particularly as you mentioned the some of the government funding that's going in and the space agency funding uh, artemis is pushing ahead and the uh, ESA today i believe and release some data or discuss some data on their cargo program and the interest they're seeing there and these major movements can can result in a whole load of downstream impact in the industry so thank you now within this context within the context of of the the macroeconomic trends we're seeing Many analysts are predicting at least some consolidation across the market, and I don't think that's a too controversial thing to state. Aside from obvious business fundamentals, which is obvious, your bread and butter day in, day out, what factors do you think could affect the chances of survival for space companies in this climate? And feel free to pick a couple of examples if that's easier. Sure. I, I don't want to single anybody out. I don't think that's very polite. But broadly speaking, look, there's a, there's, there's a few, there's several thousand space companies. And I was talking about how there's going to be a little bit of tailwinds coming into this year. That's not going to be the saving grace. That's not going to save all these different issuers. And so the, the, the reality is, or the medicine is, is there's going to be pain for a lot of issuers in, in, in this um, environment in, in the coming years. We, we, as I mentioned, we've had two... Sorry, we had a couple boom years and then we had a couple bust years. And so we haven't seen the remnants of, unfortunately, those bust years. They're going to carry on into this year and into the next. And so what I mean by that is there's been a lot of companies that have taken on a lot of capital that have incinerated that capital and and haven't necessarily delivered what they promised in, in, in a certain way. And so that's not good for investors. And so if investors don't make money, they're going to be less inclined to show up and invest in not only that company, but other companies. So that's the dichotomy of the current space industry, the earlier stage space industry. I'm not talking about the the SpaceX's or Blue Origins or things like this. I'm talking about the general earlier stage space industry. And so the challenge is going to be to find funding. So these companies are going to continue to have to find that funding. Your best result is if you have a strong financial backer or a bank or a VC, folks that have deeper pockets that don't mind supporting the endeavor throughout these downturns because they're still convicted or have a conviction that there's brighter days ahead. But I think the reality is even those you know individuals, whether it's Richard Branson at Virgin who said we're, we're, the company has a billion dollars, but I'm not interested in, in funding anything more at that moment. A guy like that, he's a businessman, he's got, he's got the cruise lines, he's got the record labels, he's got the airlines, etc. He's even tight for capital in a certain way. So even that you want to maybe push your baby or drive your, your endeavors forward, the reality is we've come out of a very kind of nasty in, in, in marketplace. And so I guess what I'm getting at is I, I think that this coming year, there, there's going to be a lot of un- companies that, that, that aren't able to make it. Unfortunately, they're, they're, they're going to have to take measures of austerity. They're going to have to cut, painfully cut things if it's not already too late. We were advocating in the last year and even the year before that, once we saw, saw the market started to crater, 
these aren't the days of gr- growing at all costs. And, and so the unfortunate thing is when you, when you sit down with some of these CEOs, I'm not even talking about the space industry, other industries. We have, you know, my background's investments. We've got portfolio investments and in all sorts of industries. The CEO is so fixated on driving the company forward. He's, he or she is oblivious to the things around them. And so these are not environments where we're growing at all costs and, and you'll be rewarded and there'll be another check on the other side of that. It's, it, I would argue it's the opposite of that. It's, hey, the market's not, the wind's not at our back. Let's slow it down. Let's, let's almost stay afloat, make sure we can live to fight another day and not necessarily shoot the lights out in this particular year. And so you, you, there'll be another market coming. There'll be another flood, flood of capital. But the idea, again, is not to keep bleeding money and, and doing all sorts of, I don't want to say crazy things, but trying to grow at any cost. That, that Those days are long gone. And so that the, the one piece of advice that, you know, for some of these companies are, You've got to make those tough decisions. You've got to, unfortunately, have some people. You've got to curdle your growth prospects and horizons and just wait some of this nasty, turbulent market out. Yeah, fantastic. And as yeah, as you say, the there are many things that are fundamental to the businesses that, that you've seen across different sectors that the space industry companies have to deal with. But alongside, as you highlighted several times, there are there is always this delay in the activities of any space company, which is natural because the time the technology takes to develop, the time it takes to, to launch it, the mission timelines are, are long and you can see setbacks happening that easily affect a technology roadmap in terms of months by usually a valve on one or something happening. And these issues can easily extrapolate from this. And that's an, uh, how I, I will add something to that. And, and so my only kind of commentary in addition to that is that... And I'm, Broadly speaking about the U.S. market, because I mean, that's where we're in the U.S. market. And even though it's treacherous or there's all sorts of issues or, or it's slimmer probabilities to get capital, the, the you know, adverse of that, or, or, or there is so many investors out there that might not be typical space investors. And, and we're an economy of you know 350 million documented people here in this country. There's all sorts of funds and institutions, ultra high net worth investors, pockets of people from the Permian Basin in, in Texas to there's so many individuals here. And so just because it's a difficult you know, environment to raise capital, it's still a numbers game. And so my advice is you know, to the CEOs looking for capital, just get out there and talk to as many people as humanly possible. Do not give up. Keep talking to people. And at some point in time, I can't guarantee that's going to be success, but that's going to significantly affect your probability for that success and that next funding to come in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Could we go a little bit deeper into that topic there? Obviously, this being your background, what would be your pieces of advice for space founders, CEOs looking to look into raise in 2024 at, at whatever level, really, whether it's growth or, or seed stages? So the interesting thing in, in the VC world, so, so the seed investment hasn't actually really slowed down. So the, the, the seed investments actually re- remain fairly consistent. So I don't want to say it's, it's, it's buoyant or robust, but there's a, there's a real, if the valuation's good, it's a promising company, there, there still is a lot of folks out there that are willing to take those shots. The, the problems that have arisen is, is that in, in, in the, the further the company is ahead, if you've got this kind of strange dichotomy where, and I'll use non, non-space company for, as an example. So a company called Instacart, probably a lot of folks use Instacart, certainly in the US here. My wife does, for that matter. But so that their last round of private funding was at 40 or $44 billion valuation. So they went out publicly last year at a $9 billion valuation. 
And so I, I think it's actually trading at a six or eight and bounces around. But my point is a company like Instacart, which is a fundamentally okay company, it's got good usership, it, it's, it's disruptive. But a company like that, if, if a company like that to gain access capital, it takes a 70, 80% markdown on their value. If you're a lesser than company, if a strong company is doing that, that, that there's a ripple effect down the chain. And so what we, we saw was we saw a tremendous money going to all these growth sectors. You had these crazy valuations that may never actually be seen again. And sometimes the CEO is having a hard time re-rating or going to his shareholder base or his board of directors and saying, hey, listen, we're not going to be able to take the money on. We're going to have to do a down round. So there's all sorts of, and so I guess what I'm getting at is because of all the things that have happened in the marketplace, you're having re-ratings of these things. And so the safest place in a certain way is seed because there's nowhere really, you're, you're already at the ground floor and there's, there's nowhere to, to re-rate it downwards. And so it, it's a really interesting, as I said, dichotomy in the space industry with what, what's happening with funding. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you for bringing us an example there outside of the space industry. I think that really helps hammer these things home and helps people see the parallels. And um, to talk briefly about your company's work as well. I know you've invested in Florida-based Starfighter space. For example, can we ask what attracted you to this company? And yeah, if there's any lessons that can be learned there for other suppliers? Sure. Look, we've come out of other industries. We've done really well in, in some industries. We haven't done well in some industries. But so we've ended up in the space industry. We believe it's going to a trillion dollar business in the next handful of years it's already a 500 billion dollar business and so as you said the trick is how do we find the winners right and there's no real as much as anybody will say that there's a real science to it it's everyone's best guess in a certain way right and so what we really liked about starfighters aerospace when the opportunity came came about and by the way i'll, I'll give you a little bit of background we were approached by Citibank and, and, and other institutions back in, in 2020 2021 to do spacs and do spac deals this is when we were looking at investing in the space industry. We were close to actually doing it because we thought the economics made sense and it was people were you know willing to, to put up a lot of money based on our track record to find a really good deal. But for us, we just we didn't know enough about it and we were fin- felt rushed. So we, we actually thankfully elected not to do that, thankfully. <laughs> so we decided to take our time. We decided to can- canvas the market, talk to as many folks as we can and go about it a different route. And we... Historically, our successes are coming in early, right? Like seed rounds or Series A. We're not trying to necessarily buy the SpaceXs of the world that are $175 billion. That's not to say we won't buy them. We're actually buying the SpaceX round as we speak that's being tendered out because we we think that's a a world-class or or once-in-a-generational type opportunity. I can talk about that later. But So we're really trying to hit the home run ball. We're trying to get a 10x or a 20x type of return on on our our, our profile. The reason that Starfighters Aerospace was really attractive to us is because it's not two guys with a a sheet of white paper and a diagram with with ideas, but no substance. It's the opposite of that. And and what I mean by that is Rick and, and Tim and those guys, they've been up at the John F. Kennedy Space Center at Cape Canaveral, inside the gate at NASA. They've been there for over 10 years. That's extremely hard to do. I like the fact that some people say, some people are, are, are trying to get in early and, and a really quickly growing company in, in the VC world. That's not us. I, I really appreciate the fact that Rick's been there for over 10 years. He's weathered cycles. So I assume over those 10 years, the economy's grown, it's, it's contracted. He's got employees. And I only say that because people discount 
how hard it is. And I only say that at Fortuna because we've got a lot of employees. It's hard to manage employees, run a business and do all sorts of different things and move things forward. And so just having that kind of business acumen and living a life and having that core skill set of experience really stood out to us. And so we're glad that he's a seasoned investor. He has his whole, let's say, life savings, you know, put into the company. So he's a true believer of the business that's very compelling for folks like us, especially being new entrants in the space industry, um, you know, that we're in this thing together. And it's not just like a, a side project or if it doesn't work out, he's on to the next big idea kind of thing. So we love that. They have a great asset base. They've got seven F-104 fighter jets that they own 100% clear title. With our funding, we're, we're going to double that asset base. We're, they've embarked on a launch program as well with, with our funding. So there's a lot of really good stuff there. We think the price was you know, attractive given the asset base and the upsides. I don't think we're buying on the high necessarily. So we're, we're in it. We're in it to win it. We're going to help them as much as we can and love the guys. And we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for the, the candor and sharing those things back to, as you say, various business fundamentals. And uh, yeah, I'd be really interested to follow the story of this this company moving forwards. If you've got seven fighter jets, you've got to do something with them. Yeah, I've just got two and they just sit in the garage. How I'm originally from Canada. I'm born and raised in Canada and, and I was canvassing the market there. And I'm not sure if the country of Canada has seven <laughs> fighter jets. So I think we're... <laughs> I think Rick's been able to. <laughs> I think Rick's been able to amass a really strong fleet of aircraft, which is very cool. Yeah, fantastic. Another question, a little bit slightly different focus now for you is, I wanted to ask you about building the case for space to investors or stakeholders, whoever it is, out, who are outside of the industry. Because if you mentioned you've got lots of experience mainly outside of the industry coming in now, is in at Satsuch, we are dealing with the marketplace on both the buy and supply side. We are talking to people in the industry, whether they're knowledgeable systems engineers or whether they're knowledgeable suppliers, day in, day out, assessing the demand, matching hundreds of companies. We are focused on the industry itself. But there are plenty of people who need to reach out to people outside. So it can seem, from where I'm sitting, a bit of a difficult prospect to do this sometimes. The industry appears, in my perception, in the public press, sometimes dominated by the launch, the news of the launches, the capital intensive nature, particularly SpaceX. NASA and ESA exploration missions are the ones that grab the headlines and on the mission side of things. And then obviously there's military and defense. And then you, as you mentioned, there was the whole difficulties with the, for the public markets with the SPACs issues thrown into the mix in this whole messaging. Yeah. How do you find we can explain that there is an attract, there are attractive opportunities in space and there are, there is also room for private capital out there? Sure. Yeah, look, there's a lot going on in, in, in that question. But what I'll say is this. I, I think SpaceX is a very needed, ne- necessary element to this whole environment, right? So obviously SpaceX gets all the headlines, right? It's a $75 billion company now. It's the second most valuable private company in the entire world. So rightfully, and obviously Elon is, he likes to share his opinions. He gets a lot of, he gets a lot of news flow. And I actually think, I think that's the best possible thing for the space industry because he, he's shining light on this space industry. And so the billion dollar question is going to be for the people that you mentioned within this industry to really understand, to really dissect, as you said, the, the, he's got the launch mastered. He's 90% of the market. He's crushed it, obviously. But the billion dollar question is, okay, so he's taken off with that. There's, there's no catching him in, in a certain way. 
And so I would put the billion dollar question for, for these intelligent people in this industry is, okay, like, how can you support what's going on? How can you, you be an ancillary factor? So if Elon continues to do this as Starlink and, and, and you know, Starlink takes off, as they get the Starship functional and operational, and they can take very heavy payloads up for extremely cheap prices, You've almost got to be a futurist, right? And you've got to think about five years ahead of time. And what the and I only say five years because if you're you're ten years, who the hell knows what's going to happen? But five years where it's enough time where you can calculate or logically place some intelligent bets or ideas around what the world's going to look like, right? And so, who are going to be those winners? And and that's going to be that billion dollar question. So who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? That because Elon can't do it alone. I only mentioned Elon because he he's out to a very fast start. I'm I'm personally. I think you mentioned 2024. I've been on record. I was talking to Reuters and MSNBC and some of these folks. I think 2024, space.com as well. I think 2024 is going to be a Jeff Bezos year. I think it's going to be a blue origin year. I think the fact that he's he's built one of the most successful companies the world has ever seen in Amazon. And if you listen to him talk, which I have, he admittedly, he says, I'm not like an Elon. I can't do five things at once. I can only do one thing really good. He's been focusing on Amazon. Now he's focusing 100% of his time on Blue Origin. He's handpicked a new CEO very recently that he fully trusts from Amazon. I'm down here in Miami. He moved down, literally down the street from me, from my house. So he's going to be here you know, on, on the space close in, in Cape Canaveral. Look, he's there full time. And so when you have that shift from the highest level from, let's say, an Albert Einstein of our generation or, or a very brilliant person that's grown tremendous value, I don't know how you could be not bullish blue horizon, blue origin this year based upon those reasons. So I think it's going to be a really interesting kind of year and and five years as as some of these things unfold. But going back to your question is, yeah, it's been a very insular economy and business, but now some of these really amazing things have started to to take shift that, that have shaped up from the top level. And ultimately it's identifying those trends and identifying those opportunities and I think building towards that, because again, if you talk to a Jeff or an Elon or Richard or any of these guys, and I'm just, I, just, I mentioned them because they get all the headlines, they can't do it alone, nor do they want to do it alone from a, from a private perspective, right? So they need, they're going to need the help of the whole ecosystem, the whole economy. So it's going to have to be people standing up and, and doing things a little bit differently or working together. And, and there's more than enough room in this beautiful pie to share. So I, I think it's a really nice thing to see. Well, Justice, thank you very much. I think that's a great place to wrap up our discussion today. I think um, you've shared with us some really interesting insights from the investor's perspective on the industry, on what suppliers should think about, what people can look out for, and painting this bigger picture of where things stand and contextualizing the activities of different companies has been fantastic for our listeners. So just wanted to say thank you very much. We'll obviously share some information, links, and things in the show notes for people who would like to find out more about you, more about Fortuna Investments. And yeah, would encourage people to take a look at you guys moving forward and follow your story and the story of the companies you're investing in too. And to all our listeners out there, thank you very much for spending time with us today on the Space Industry Podcast. And um, we'll be back with you soon with another episode. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space Industry by SatSearch. I hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit. We'll be back soon with more in-depth, behind-the-scenes insights from private space businesses. 
In the meantime, you can go to setsearch.com for more information on the space industry today or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store or whichever podcast service you typically use. 